HealthWise. This is Thomas Corrier. And this is Sarah Corrier. And we'd like to welcome you to episode 37 of the HealthWise Report. The audio edition. This episode is going to be about Islam. It's not a health topic this time. And we're doing that because it's an increasingly important topic for everyone, especially those of us who live in civilized societies. Mm -hmm. Those of us who don't live in civilized societies already have a really good idea of what true Islam is really like. But the rest of us really need to know. We need to know so we can prevent it from happening here. And this show is to not just help you, but help all of your friends out there that you might pass this show along to who say ridiculous platitudes like, Oh, Islam, it's the religion of peace. Mm -hmm. They're so peaceful. Yeah, or the most insulting one of all, Christianity is just as bad. Christianity is just as bad, yeah. Is that not galling to think about? Incredibly. We certainly are going to be showing that distinction on this show. Mm -hmm. There is a huge distinction. The difference between Christianity and Islam is like night and day. There are a lot of religions to choose from out there. There's quite a bit of competition. If you're going to choose one, don't choose Islam. And if you do choose Islam, just be advised that once you make that choice, once you make that jump into Islam, into becoming a Muslim, that choice is made for you for the rest of your life because there is no turning back. Because part of their religion, part of their belief system, something that 80 to 90% of the Muslims believe wholeheartedly is that if you leave Islam, you deserve a death sentence. You should be murdered for it. Yeah. And you can look this up. They'll consider you to be an apostate. And this isn't just Muslims over in the Middle East who believe that you should be killed for being an apostate, that is, converting over to Christianity or even atheism. No, this is Muslims who live here in the United States, in the United Kingdom, in the civilized world. These, quote, moderate Muslims that we all hear about, they're the Muslims who, you know, 80% of which think an apostate should be killed. People hear about it on the news once in a while. They hear about this person was killed by this Muslim or that Muslim for doing this or that thing, you know, whether it's an honor killing or trying to leave the, quote, faith, unquote. Right. And they think, well, this is some isolated event by one of those radical Muslims. It's not radical. It's what the Koran says. It demands that you kill someone who tries to leave. It's, it's worse than being in the mafia. Yeah. One of the points that we need to drive home is that 
There is no moderate Islam and radical Islam. Mm-hmm. That's for the friends out there who say it's a religion of peace, and who, whenever they see a bad event happen on the news, say, those aren't the real Muslims. That's not the real Islam. That's this fringe radical group that's not valid and doesn't follow the Quran. Actually, if you look it up, in most cases, they were doing exactly what the Quran said. So the deviant Muslims are the ones who aren't committing the violence. Exactly. You'll hear lots of people talk about, quote, Christians who are violent and bad people. But the difference is that these people aren't following Christianity. They're not following the book. Yeah. The truth be told, they're not Christians at all. Right. If you do things that are unchristian, you violate the Christian code openly and do the most wicked of acts, you're not a Christian. Because the Bible doesn't tell you to do those things. In fact, the Bible tells you to do the opposite. Mm-hmm. For the most part, find forgiveness and trust in people and build community. Uh, I mean, here's the difference, really. It's, if a Christian were to live the same life as the Christ, as the Christian Messiah, then they would be a good person that everyone would want to be around. Yes. If a person were to live the same life as Muhammad, that is essentially the Muslim Messiah... You'd be a monster. You'd be a... In prison homicidal, genocidal pedophile. Rapist. And, and there's really no other way, there's no way to sugarcoat that. Yeah. Many people who aren't that familiar with Islam, outsiders who have been told about the, the so-called religion of peace, and etc., they've heard that Muhammad is a prophet. And they figure, well, if he's a prophet, he must be like these other prophets I've learned about. Like Isaac, Abraham, Zechariah. He must be like them, because those are the prophets too. He's nothing like them. Not in any shape or form. He was a warlord. A murderous, child-molesting warlord who committed murder on a regular basis. And when he didn't kill his enemies, and not being part of his new religion made you an enemy automatically, if he didn't kill you, turn you into a sex slave, he turned you into a regular slave. Yeah. This is who they are worshipping. Exactly. This isn't just some regular deviant who claims to be Muslim. This is their Messiah. Either he was purely evil and sane, or he was possessed. And to be honest, with what he did, what he accomplished, if it can be called accomplishments, Mm -hmm. I think he was possessed. But if he wasn't possessed, he was certainly insane. Psychotic and sociopathic, through and through. Yeah. Why don't we jump back to where he got his start? What was his wife's name, his so-called wife? Well, he had several wives, actually. The wife that we hear about most, Aisha, was six years old when they got married. Nine years old when he, quote, consummated, unquote, the marriage. Okay, so in other words, you're saying Mohammed did the right thing. He married her at six, but didn't, like, have sex with her until age nine. So he did the right thing, right, Sarah? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it's difficult for me to even go there. Okay, I get a little twisted with my humor sometimes, but how can you not make... I don't know, for me, it's like, it's so disturbing, I have to make some kind of a joke out of it. I understand. I mean, I just can't look at a six-year-old girl and imagine her being married to someone who I think was 50 This is the prophet who points out a six-year-old girl. Wasn't she, like, related to him, too? Yeah. She was related to him. Uh Uh-huh. And he's he's 54, you know. He's 54. You know, we, we hear about these cases of younger girls in the old world, should we say, being married, but never six years old, and never to someone in his 50s. Compared to the Christian faith, imagine if Isaiah, or even the Christ, had said, check out that six-year-old over there. 
I'm going to marry that, and by age nine, we're going to consummate. Can you imagine? It's just unfathomable. I, I really just... And to choose that person as an object of worship is just something I just can't even comprehend. That wasn't his only wife. That was one of his wives. Yeah. And he tended to pick them pretty young. Mm-hmm. I just thought I'd mention that's how he got his start with a six-year-old. This is supposedly around the time when he was becoming holy. Right. Does this sound like somebody God would pick to be his holy messenger? The child molester. Yeah, exactly. Just think on that for a minute. What I want to say before we really get going is that one of the parties that is most responsible, I think, for the way things are going with regard to Islam and the fact that people are unwilling to speak out is the Christian church. Yeah. What the Muslims do when they get enough power to do what they want to do in a country, it's, it's atrocious. But Christian countries bear a lot of shame, too. And it's the shame of silence. The fact that what is going on and what they're trying to promote here through all kinds of trickery and political games, political correctness, and so forth, how they've just sort of cowered, that they won't even bring the topic up. Yeah. They're scared. It's one thing to ignore competing religions because they're doing no harm. Worst case, the person's a little misguided, and hopefully someday something, maybe even on a deathbed, will push them in the right direction before it's too late. And that happens. Mm-hmm. I know that happens a lot. You hear about people dying who weren't believers in that last moment. You know, they have that, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry moment. They've seen or felt something, know it's coming. But Islam isn't harmless. It is pure evil. It absolutely is pure evil. It is a system of slavery and abuse that everyone is required to submit to. In fact, the word Islam itself represents submission. These people who promote Islam, the politically correct people who supposedly know all about it but don't, or at least ignore it if they do, they say that that submission is submission to, quote, Allah, unquote. And they're increasingly getting away from that, too. They're switching Allah for God to make it even more acceptable, trying to get us to believe that mm-hmm. it's the same God, that they're worshiping the same God we are. I do want to say that I found a case in Oregon, and a pastor changed his church sign outside his church. And they have these all, all over in the States. I know in other countries it's not the same way, but they often have a little sign outside the church with a little inspirational saying quote, on it, yeah. quote, something like that. Now, this sign that he put out, it caused uproar in his community, like it was some sin. And uh, what did it say, Sarah? It said, Allah is not God, Muhammad not greater than Jesus. Okay. That kind of seems self-evident that a Christian would say those two things. I mean, he wouldn't be a Christian if he didn't think. Yeah, if you didn't believe that. Exactly. He'd be, well, a Muslim otherwise. Yeah. The, the God of, the true God of Abraham, they, they tried to hijack that, but the true God of Abraham and later on the Christ, etc., that is the one true God. Exactly. So that's inherent to his faith. But what gets me is the other preachers in his community, they talked about how wrong and offensive this was. Yes, they turned on him, didn't they? The other preachers. And 
it, it's actually unbelievable to me. It's like, who are the good guys here? Now, Muslims say this all the time, the opposite. They say, yes, Every they do. Every time they say, Allahu Akbar, it means Allah is greater. Mm-hmm. They're saying the exact opposite of what he says, and yet nobody's up in arms. Yeah. I mean, every time. And there's no great offense or people coming out. The mayor, in this case, came out against this preacher. Uh, yeah. So that's kind of a sign of, of where things are going, where a preacher can't even, in his own church sign, say, Muhammad is not greater than Jesus. I can't believe that a Christian could have a problem with saying Jesus was a greater person than Mohammed, mm-hmm. the criminal murderous child molester who, well, sort of made it up as he went along. Yeah. At least the Christ followed in the path, well, the prophecies of the one true God didn't contradict them. He mm-hmm. appended to them in some ways. What Mohammed did was he took the Old Testament, or at least a big chunk of it, and said, there's real opportunity here. He saw that Jews and other groups were following these teachings and said, I can make this work. Mm-hmm. What he did was he took some of the Old Testament, what he wanted out of it, what was useful to him, because the parts of the, the Old Testament that, especially in the, the beginning of the Bible, God, let's just be honest and frank about it, he had a temper. Mm-hmm. God had a real temper in the Old Testament. He seems to have mellowed out over time especially after the birth of Christ. He really mellowed out. But in the early days, you did not want to make him angry. Mm-hmm. He crushed and smited people a lot right and left, which conveniently for Mohammed, that's the part he liked. The warlord was like, yeah, I can present this image of God to back up the way I want to kill and smite people down in all directions and take over their lands. Mm-hmm. That's what he did. And just for those who don't know, Muhammad took certain things, you know, like Thomas was saying, out of the Old Testament, and then just said that anything that contradicts what he says isn't true and is due to the corruption of those books over time. The corruption. The corruption. What's rich, this is what's incredible. He spent his life persecuting the Jews, mm-hmm. killing and enslaving the Jews, yet based his, his fake religion on the Jewish teachings because it was convenient for him. It was already written up. Yes. All he had to do was plagiarize for what he wanted. But yet, he went after these people who, you know, were supposedly the chosen people, picked, hand-picked by God, yet he had no problem you know, butchering them. them. Mm-hmm. So, there's the church responsibility in it. But mm-hmm. there's also another group that ought to be on our side in this regard. And that's the so-called liberals. <laughs> Let's say if Thomas were to go up to a liberal and say... I hate gays. I think they should all be killed, thrown off buildings. I think that women shouldn't be able to speak freely. But we should put the way, them in their place. She, she's not being hyperbole with that. They do throw gays off buildings, the Muslims do in the Muslim countries. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I don't think women should have the same rights of men. Their testimony should be worth half that of a man in the courts. Mm-hmm. The liberal would be appalled. And rightly so, I think. Yep. But... If he then told that liberal that, well, he's a Muslim, it's his religion. Then it's okay. Then it's okay. It's, it's praised like, yes, yes, that is awesome that your religion of peace has moved you so much. <laughs> and some liberals talk about this like, like a religion is not a choice. They talk about it like, almost like it's a skin color. Of course, when you do get into Islam, it, it stops being a choice. Well, sure, there, there is the apostate thing. 
But the point is that this is an ideology that a person has chosen to embrace. Mm -hmm. So we should be attacking those people verbally. We should be saying this is an evil ideology. Mm -hmm. Something else that I believe is blessed by the Quran or those later books, I can't remember. What were they called? The Hadith. The the what? The Hadith. Yeah, I can never remember the, the title. This is actually blessed. The the whole thing about if you're caught stealing, they chop your hands off. And there's story after story about little kids, and I mean like three and four-year-old kids who steal something, candy bar, out of the store, and their own parents take them outside and and get somebody to run over their hands to crush them under a truck. And they're they're all like, la, 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 praise, Allah Akbar, and it's something to celebrate that that child just lost his hands, be crippled for life. Yeah. Actually, uh, I saw a video of that, I don't know, probably six or seven years ago now, mm-hmm. of this father holding his 10-year-old son with his arm outstretched. And he, was, he had his whole body on the son so he couldn't move. And then this truck came and ran over the kid's arm and he's screaming. And I can still remember it plain as day. It is hard to get that out of your mind, isn't it, when you see something like that? And I just saw it on the internet in poor quality. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine being there, watching that, and these people celebrating as that 10-year-old well, there's screams. Also the, there's also the cruel beheading thing. I saw one of the videos I stumbled upon way back where somebody was a infidel or something. I guess he decided he was going to become Christian or whatever, ticked him off. They decided to behead him with a pocket knife, with a three-inch blade pocket knife. Do you know how gruesome that is? How long it takes to cut through somebody's neck and throat with a three-inch blade that's dull. Right. It, that's, that's something I can't get out of my head. I'd like to be able to clean that out, but I can't. Yeah. And what you have to remember is, these aren't... These are blessed. These aren't extremists. There is nothing that we're talking about here that is not embraced and blessed by Islam. This is in their so-called holy writings, their holy scriptures. It, that's why they're doing it. It's not because some Muslim guy said, how can I be mean about this? No, they're getting it straight from their so-called holy scriptures, telling them how to administer punishments. You hear about groups like ISIS and so forth doing these horrific things, and on the news the anchors talk about how it's, they're radical and so forth, but they're not. There is, oh, okay, they are radical, but... It's not a different version of Islam. There is nothing that they're doing that is not embraced. Yeah, what the liberals and the media are calling radical Islam is actually true, fundamental Islam. Yes. They're doing what they're supposed to do according to Islam. It's these other people who are denying it. They're not acting like Muslims. Yes. They're just sort of giving lip service to it, in much the same way you have your Sunday Christians. Yes. They go to church, but the rest of the time... It's just that in the case of the... Sunday Muslims, we're just glad that they are. That, we're, that they are Sunday Muslims or whatever day they use. <laughs> exactly. Uh-huh. In their case, it's like the more that they follow the book, the worse people they are. Exactly right. The better the Muslim they are, the worse human being they are. Yeah. Islam is terrorism. What I mean by that is, it is spread by the sword. It always has been. That's what Muhammad taught. Yes. You convert people by conquest, but there's also the lying factor, the deception factor, too, which ties into the whole religion of peace thing. If you recall, Muhammad told his followers that if you can get an advantage against the unbelievers, it's okay to lie. It's okay to lie to them. 
to trick them into thinking that their faith is something that it isn't, as long as that gives them a long-term advantage. And that's how they infiltrate. The whole religion of peace, that's one of the big forks in the pitchfork there. That's one of the main lies, that we're supposed to believe that they're peaceful, harmless, that they don't believe in violence, that there's this radical groups that are doing it all, etc., etc. That's part of getting us to slowly accept them and integrate them into our society until they get enough power to where they don't have to lie anymore. There's no need to lie about it because they have the power. They can reveal themselves. And most people will have a hard time getting their head around this. We as Christians would generally find, would find this hard to believe. And, and when I heard it, it was hard to get my head around too because as part of our faith, there's the principle of thou shalt not lie. And when you look at the Bible, you look at the gospel, it's all about the truth and about not lying. Much of the Bible is metaphorical. The reason why parts of it are is because there are truths, deeper truths, beyond the literal, that can't be conveyed in any other way through the symbolism, the imagery. There's none of that. The Koran is not a beautiful poetic book like the Bible. It reads like the art of war. It really does. It's like a a collection of battles and Let's contrast for a minute, if I may. Sure. This example comes from the book The Politically Incorrect Guide to Islam, which is a book I'd recommend to people. In that book, they give examples. What would Jesus do versus what would Muhammad do? In one of the examples, Jesus came upon a woman who had been accused of adultery back in ancient Israel when he was doing his preaching. Asked the group, why are you going to stone this woman? And they, they told him. Then he took one of the rocks, picked it up himself, went to the front of the crowd, giving the full appearance that he was about to throw the first rock, then stopped, turned around, and said to them, and this may be paraphrased a little bit, he who is amongst you without sin cast the first stone. And he, he made that as a challenge for anyone to stand up and say, I don't have any sin, so I'm going to throw the first rock. And of course, nobody was willing to do that. And he was able to drive the crowd, this big crowd that had formed, he was able to drive them back home in shame. She was committed adultery, but they were about to commit murder. Now let's contrast this to an actual event that happened with Mohammed that is recorded in their so-called scriptures. A woman approached Mohammed. She was going to give birth to a child that was not her husband's. In other words, we have another adultery case. Mohammed seemed friendly enough and told her to go home and come back when the baby is born. At that point, he'll deal with the situation, take care of it. So, nine months later, she comes back with the baby. And Mohammed examines it and says, are you nursing this baby? And she says, yes, I have to nurse the baby every day. Mohammed says, wean this baby off. When the baby is old enough for solid food, bring it back to me again, and I will have a solution. So the woman goes back a year or two later, I don't know how long it was then returns to Muhammad again with the baby fully weaned. At that point, he has his soldiers take the baby away from her and give it to another family that were complete strangers to them, never met before, then had her stoned to death for adultery. Quite a contrast, isn't it, Sarah? Yeah, you can definitely see the difference. Yeah. Everyone should be able to. Which, you know, the more you learn about Muhammad, the more one would conclude that... He was a monster. He was a true monster 
or possessed or both. One of the things that you hear from, sometimes from Muslims, but a lot from liberals is, well, Christians are just as bad, look at the Crusades. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard that one. Now, what they're forgetting, or intentionally omitting, is that the Crusades were not an initial act of aggression. They were retaliatory. The First Crusade, it began in 1095. That's 400 years after the Muslim marauders had started attacking and taking lands. The Muslim marauders took over Jerusalem in 636 AD. An Arab raid against Rome took place in 846 AD, in which they desecrated the holy shrines of Peter and Paul, pillaging from them. Again, this is 400 years prior to the Crusades. Uh This wasn't just a land grab. They actually targeted holy places. They targeted the disciples. Mm -hmm. This so-called prophet of God went after the disciples' bodies to desecrate them. Yeah. It's actually amazing that at that point that all of Christendom did not unite. You know, immediately from the get-go there. Right, that it took hundreds of years for them to say, enough is enough. Yeah, their patience and tolerance ran out. And in these attacks, well, it's not like a, a modern war that you think of. Because in a modern war, you kind of think, well, the military more or less attacks the other military until one military and government gives up. And the civilians are kind of left out of it for the most part. But here they weren't. The civilians were made into sex slaves, regular slaves. Their children were taken away from them. And well, they, they, they liked the children as the sex slaves, I believe. Mm-hmm. And those who, who they didn't kill and who refused to become Islamic, become Muslim, they were forced to pay an izya tax. That's something that's actually in the Quran too. It's a tax that, well, non-Islamic people pay to Islamic people. It's really the only reason that people weren't killed. Because they were worth money. Yeah. And you had no rights at that point either. If you were one of the non-Muslims being taxed, you had no legal rights. So you were paying for everything, paying all the taxes, but getting no legal rights, benefits whatsoever. Any Muslim could hurt you in any way, and you had no recourse. Yeah. In fact, this still happens. This even happens against Muslims. I mean, when, you know, it's like one of those when they turn against themselves. If a Muslim woman is raped, she, in most cases, had better not go public with it, especially in a country with Sharia law, which is a topic we're going to get to, too. Because Sharia law is the ultimate conclusion of Islam. That's what they all strive towards, to where the government and the religion become one. There is no separation of church and state. Mm-hmm. That is what the Muslims seek everywhere they go. And in some places, you have that. Yes. When you do have Sharia law and a woman is raped, she has no real recourse because her testimony is like, what, what is it, a quarter of a man's, a fifth of a man's? You need four male eyewitnesses to convict someone of rape. Okay, it can't be her word no. or, or the word of her friends. No, four male eyewitnesses. And, okay, how often is that going to happen? You know, you get the woman who's gang raped. And what are the odds they're all going to not involved and just or, or not involved people who who are, are going to testify on her behalf? Yeah. I mean, if they're too scared or too evil not to get involved to, to try to stop it, then are they going to go to court and stand up for her? Yeah. I, I don't see it happening. And it, it gets even better than that. 
I mean, you think that would be bad enough. That, you know, you couldn't convict the rapists. When the women come forward, since they've had sex outside of their marriage, then they go to prison for adultery. Mm -hmm. And for that reason, 75% of the incarcerated women in Pakistan are there on charges of adultery. Because they were raped. They were victims. They, they went to prison for getting raped. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Let me give you another disgusting example. And uh, this is something I probably would have missed if it hadn't been for that book, the, the Politically Incorrect Guide to Islam, which had a terrific detail of really locking in on the, the stuff that people need to be paying attention to, but aren't. There was one story where they conquered a group. Um, I don't remember if this group was Jewish or not, but they conquered a group, but the Muslims did, under the leadership of Mohammed. They killed all the men and the older children. So all you had left was younger children and the women. The army decided that that night they were just going to rape all the women. Each soldier would get a different woman mm -hmm. or more. And Mohammed was fine with that. That's not what's most disturbing, at least not for me, because this too gets even better, this story. Just before the rapes began, this mass rape, one of the soldiers went up to Muhammad and said, should we use the withdrawal method of birth control? Because it just seems like it would be foolish to get all these women pregnant, or at least a large portion of them, with our babies. Muhammad said, no, do not use the withdrawal method. Engage an intercourse till its full conclusion, without taking any precautions whatsoever. Because if the women get pregnant, it's Allah's will. And therefore, it's a sin not to impregnate these women when possible. These rape victims. These rape victims. It's, it's a sin not to impregnate them when possible. Because, you know, you're violating Allah's will, getting in the way of mm -hmm. what he would want. And, and again, I have to repeat, this is not the God. the Jehovah, as some people would say. This is not the Lord of the Christians and the Jews and other receptive people. This Allah farce, this Muhammad farce, it's... Well, what I just said speaks for itself. I don't think I need to really add to it. Yeah. Now, going back to, you know, the, the Muslims are invading. Okay, they're taking over different places. And like Thomas briefly alluded to, they enforce something called Sharia law, which some people refer to as dimitude. Dimitude is the name of someone who has that inferior second-class status because he's not a Muslim. Yeah, but Sharia law is a bigger umbrella. Yes. Uh, dimitude just refers to... The slavery. The slavery part. Yes, exactly. And there is no separation of church and state, so the church decides... But the law is. ...everything, mm -hmm. including things like not having any musical instruments. Yeah, that's a good one. Tell them about that, Sarah. Pretty much all creativity is hindered or stopped. But what we consider to be fine creative expression here in the Western civilized world, things like paintings that depict people and animals, mm. they're forbidden. That's why you don't see that sort of artwork over there. All you see is the kind geometry. of... geometry. All you see is geometry, calligraphy, that, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. You don't see real art. And that's because it's... It's forbidden. Well, most people know you're not... The Muslims don't want you making a picture of Muhammad. Everybody knows about that one it's because people died over that. But what they don't realize is that, you know, at its full conclusion, Islam's final state of imposing Sharia law, there's no pictures of anyone. Yeah. And it's not just art. Think about how it will impact science. 
it did impact science. You know, there allegedly was a a time in which in Persia the Muslims kind of had this thing going where they had some good medicine, and then the Christian and Jewish people far advanced them because they were willing to draw pictures, pictures of organs. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just how crippling. Yeah. That their religion was. Let me. I tell you what. I'm going to cue up what music is like in a country with Sharia law. I want to give people a taste of that. This is, if the Crusades had not happened, if we had not pushed them back and let them know that it would not be tolerated here, if they had invaded the Western world and subsequently came to the New World as well, this is what your music would sound like, because this is what's allowed. So that that is music, because in a country that is under Islamic law, there are no instruments. Mm-hmm. In fact, you can watch videos, leaked videos, from a country that does follow this called Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. And the, quote, religious police come up and beat people for being out there with a musical instrument. Yeah, they've caught it on hidden cam. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Physically beat people. Well, you're not allowed to video either, are you? No. Are you like, aren't video cameras kind of banned too, more or less? More or less, yeah. Uh, in Saudi Arabia, though, especially. You certainly can't film the religious police doing their job. No. Because we've seen what can happen when you try. Because there aren't any female drivers in Saudi Arabia either. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway. Well, I, I can agree with that. You got to keep them off the roads. <laughs> Have you ever seen women drive, Sarah? <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now... To to get an idea of what Sharia law is like for people who aren't Muslim, there was a case, a famous case of Sharia law being enforced in 634 AD. And since then, this has been kind of coined as the, the gold standard of how you should treat people. The person who instituted this, I'm probably not going to be pronouncing his name right. But but this is p- the golden rule? This is the golden rule. This is by uh, Caliph Umar ibn al-Khattab. Uh, that's phonetically pronounced. Now, he forced Christians to agree to a contract. And I'm going to read to you a brief section of this contract. Mm -hmm. This is how we would be treated had they taken over. Yeah. This is signed by by the Christians. Quote, We will not prevent any of our fellows from embracing Islam if they choose to do so. We will respect Muslims, move from the places we sit in if they choose to sit in them. Like back to the, get to the back of the bus there. Yes. Mm-hmm. We will not imitate their clothing, caps, turbans, sandals, hairstyles, speech, nicknames, and title names, or ride on saddles, hang swords on the shoulders, collect weapons of any kind, or carry these weapons. We will not encrypt our stamps in Arabic or sell liquor. We will have the front of our hair cut, wear our customary clothes wherever we are, wear belts around our waist. Refrain from erecting crosses on the outside of our churches and demonstrating them and our books in public in Muslim fairways and markets. Mm -hmm. We will not sound the bells in our churches except discreetly or raise our voices while reciting our holy books inside our churches in the presence of Muslims. If we break any of these promises that we set for your benefit against ourselves, then our dimmer promise of protection is broken and you are allowed to do with us what you are allowed of people of defiance and rebellion. Unquote. 
And that's just a small section of it, but you get the idea. And what's important here, especially, is that these Christians, they don't have the right to go into a court to speak up for themselves. So mm-hmm. let's say a Muslim says, you were wearing a turban. He can't say, no, I wasn't. Because you're not allowed to testify. Because he can't testify. So that gives anybody around him who just doesn't like him. Uh-huh. Total power. Total power. Total to, power. To kill him. Because that's what you do and are allowed to do with a person of defiance and rebellion. And, you know, pragmatically speaking, how long would a person have to live like that under those terrifying... And that what you're describing there is true terrorism, another form of terrorism. How long would it be before you got to where you thought you had to pretend to convert at least? Yeah. Just so your family would be safe. And then there's the fact that those who couldn't afford to pay the tax, their children would be sold. Yeah, they take your kids. Little Judy is the sex slave. Hope she's doing all right. I mean, that, that's literally what these people had to yeah. accept. And, and they say Islam is just as good as Christianity. It's a valid religion of peace and virtue. It's hard to talk about this without getting angry and disgusted. Mm-hmm. It really is. Yeah. When this goes out, the liberals who aren't really going to listen to what we have to say, aren't going to consider it, aren't going to look any of this up because they don't want to really know, the first thing that's going to come out of their mouths, we're racist. Yep. Or we're uh, what, what, Islamophobic, that, that's another one. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like this. We talked about the liberals before, but I have to go back to this because one of the things that the liberals want to push most is women's rights, and they push it far beyond what frankly seemed reasonable when there was a women's rights movement, say, in the 1920s. It's like the gay thing, the race thing, everything else. They're never satisfied. They got rights, now it's privilege. But when you look at Islam, it is, it really is oppression on an extreme scale. Mm-hmm. Much worse than what you'd see in the ancient world, even. You look at the ancient world and you think, well, women didn't have many rights there. You look at Islam, it's, it's something totally different. Now, and don't, don't get us wrong, we, we fully acknowledge that people have done horrible things in God's name on the Christian side of things. I mean, my gosh, when you look through history, there is so much horrible and deplorable, sad stories of people being tortured to death, various cruelties by the church, deceptions, and it happened. But it didn't happen, has never happened, at the scale that it happens in a modern Muslim country. I mean, we're talking about stuff that dated back hundreds, thousands of years, terrible events. We grew up. Over time, we bettered ourselves, found better ways of doing things, of working with God's Word, more in line with God's Word, what we should have always been doing. And we've gotten to a pretty good place overall as a society. They're still like that. They are between 700 and 1,000 years behind us. It's not just because of the fact that they're, you know, suppressing science and art the way they do. I like to believe that to some degree, it's because we've been blessed, because we've been a better people. One big distinction everybody needs to remember here. Yes, there were horrible Christian people who did horrible things, and in those cases, you know, it's debatable as to whether they could even be called Christians. But there were people doing things under God's name. The big distinction is, nowhere in the Bible were they told to do it. With the exception of maybe the witch trials. Maybe. There's an argument for that, that Somewhere in the Bible it says you shall not tolerate a witch to live, way back in the Old Testament. 
in those cases, in those rare cases we're dealing with a witch, then the Bible was okay with it. You could say there's a part that kind of justifies it. It seems to. But other than that, no. No, all the evil deeds that were done in God's name, they were in violation of God's word. In the case of the Muslims with the Koran, the ones who are doing the evil deeds, they're doing exactly what supposedly their God is telling them to do. Yeah, let me give you an example. There are four reasons in the Quran where a man can beat his wife. It's actually got the rules spelled out. Beat your wife when your wife does these things. Yeah. First one, she does not attempt to make herself beautiful for him. In other words, she lets herself go. She let herself go. She got a little older, got a few wrinkles. So beat the living tar out of her. Yeah. I mean, and that, that's, that's what they the believe Quran. God tells them to do. They're, they're God. Mm-hmm. They're Allah. Mm-hmm. Number two, she refuses to meet his sexual demands. Number three, she leaves the house without his permission. She didn't get permission? Well, what does she expect? Sarah? And last one, she neglects her religious duties. She, she actually went somewhere without permission? Mm-hmm. Now, what's rich is, you know, and this is convenient since Muhammad was a guy, a guy can do what's called a, quote, temporary divorce, unquote, and go sleep with other women. His temporary divorce might be three days, and he'll go and sleep with a woman for three days, another mm-hmm. who's not his wife, of course. Any of his wives. And then he's, or, or his wives, and then suddenly he's married again yeah. with no penalty. Mm-hmm. So if you're on the male end of the spectrum, it's pretty convenient, Sarah. It's very convenient. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. This is what their uh, prophet said. Mm-hmm. Now... Another example of women's rights in Saudi Arabia. This was in March 2002. This is is what happens when Sharia law is implemented. Yes. Right here. Uh, This is modern. This is 2002. Most Mm -hmm. of us can remember 2002. Yeah. Not not the dark ages, but 2002. Yeah. There was a fire in an all-girls school in Saudi Arabia. In the all-girls school, they didn't wear head coverings because they were always inside the school with no men around, and that's considered okay. But there was a fire. So the religious police didn't want the girls to come outside because they weren't wearing head coverings. They were in inappropriate attire. So they prevented these girls from coming out of it's the building. It's barely burn alive. Yeah. And show their faces and like little floozies, right? Uh-huh. Fifteen teenage girls, mm-hmm. teenagers, yeah. died in the fire because the religious police wouldn't let them out of the burning building. Mm-hmm. Now, now, Sarah, it may sound like she's speaking figuratively here, but she's not. When she says relig- religious police, she means that they're actually called that. Yeah. They're called the religious police. They actually have special uniforms, uniforms and mm-hmm. stuff that are different from the normal police. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, there's the topic of uh, female mutilation, or sometimes called female circumcision. Oh, gosh. Yeah, I'll let you take this. It's just sick. Yeah. This is something that's difficult to describe, and frankly, maybe you're better just looking it up. But they take a knife and chop off different areas of women's... uh, Genitalia? Genitalia, exactly. Mm -hmm. To try and reduce the pleasure that she would experience. Yeah. It's supposed to be painful, right, Sarah? Yeah. Uh, To... It literally is there to remove or reduce sexual pleasure. No. And don't forget, of course, that she, she's not poli- allowed to say no to her husband who wants 
I can't believe they call it circumcision because normal circumcision for males, it has religious implications, health implications. It's actually good for you in the long term, mm-hmm. um, et cetera, et cetera. They could call that the same thing. I think it's a way of trying to normalize what should never like be Like the normalized. word games. Yeah. It's, it's trying to replace the terminology with a terminology that sounds acceptable. Yeah. And, of course, over there you have the, the forced marriages because we're copying, you know, what Muhammad did. Yeah. Why should a woman get a choice, Sarah? Uh-huh. Uh, so that happens constantly. You know? And when girls don't want the marriage, then you run into things like honor killings. And oh, well, a lot of things can cause an honor killing. Yeah. An honor killing is literally whenever the family feels like its sense of honor has been infringed. Yeah, well, let's break it down. Mm-hmm. An honor killing is in an Islamic country is the killing of a female by her male relatives. And there are a variety of reasons. The most common reason is they believe she's had sexual intercourse mm-hmm. with somebody is the most common reason. They believe she's, well, had sex with someone. And because of that, they need to hunt her down and murder her. Usually on the streets, just shoot her down like a dog. Mm-hmm. This, uh, That's for the family honor, by the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There are actually a surprising number of these that are occurring in the United States now. Mm-hmm. I, I was reading about a case over in uh, Texas where two sisters, uh, Sarah and Amina, were murdered by their father because they refused to marry Egyptian men in marriages that he had arranged. So he lured them into his taxi to take them for a trip and then unloaded 11 bullets into them. You know, these are his... his daughters. Um, then he fled and he remains on the most wanted list, but it's happening r- right here. Um, on U.S. Know, soil. On U.S. soil, yeah. In the Quran, there are actually a lot of contradictions, because there are a few quotes that sound like, well, it's peaceful. And then there were some quotes where, well, you know, he's murderous and so forth. And there's actually a rule for how they're supposed to deal with these contradictions. Mm-hmm. And that is that whatever comes last matters most. Supersedes what came before. Right, exactly. Which was really convenient for striking out nice moral principles from the Judeo-Christian code. Yeah, they were replaced by what mm-hmm. Muhammad said. Now, what's especially important to remember, though, is that Muhammad became more violent toward the end of his life. Mm-hmm. And liberals like to quote from the beginning of the Quran. Where he's is saying peaceful things sometimes. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. So you, you quote from them, but you ignore the fact that's not how the Quran works. Mm-hmm. Have been superseded. Yeah, so that's something to keep in mind when you see one of these quotes, and it's like, well, you know, that that doesn't sound so bad. Yeah, yeah, it's like out of context in more ways than one. There's the regular out of context thing, and then there's the thing where it's been superseded mm-hmm. that people either don't know about or conveniently ignore because they're too busy trying to win the argument to care about the truth. Yeah, but here's a quote directly from Muhammad that can't be taken out of context. He says, "Quote: Kill any Jew that comes into your power." Unquote. And, and this wasn't just Jews that were fighting them, because the first death, Jew. the first death was that of a merchant, just just a random merchant, a salesman. Yeah. Ironically, as I think I mentioned earlier, this was the chosen people, the people that put together the early part of the Bible that supposedly became part of his work, his religious work. Yet they were a threat to be mm-hmm. dealt with, apparently. Mm-hmm. With with death, if not this demi status. The demitude. Yes. He stole not just from 
the Old Testament and so forth, he also stole from paganism. A lot of people, probably most people, have heard about the pilgrimage to Mecca. Some people may not know what pagan even means, Sarah. You want me to take it? Sure. The pagan religions are ancient old world religions which are based on worshipping either a multitude of gods, like the Greek and Roman gods. It's also, paganism also includes the gods of the witches, like character, was it Gaia or Gaia? Gaia, the most common nowadays. Uh, the, the so-called Great Mother, Mother Earth, Mother Nature, etc. That's paganism too. To be a pagan religion, it's an ancient religion that people have relegated to calling mythology. That it's, right. it's ridiculous. Nobody can really take it serious in modern times. All right. But prior to Islam, mm -hmm. the pilgrimage to, to Mecca, it, it was called the Hajj, and it was a pagan ritual in which pagans from Arabia would travel to Mecca in order to worship at the Kaaba. And while there, they'd walk around it seven times to show respect for their seven planetary deities. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, in the Quran, it talks all sorts about killing the pagans. But he stole their, their very ritual. Now, this is one of the, the big pillars of Islam. Mm -hmm. The it, pilgrimage to Mecca. Yes, I mean, it, it, it's frankly huge. Why did he steal it? I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I don't know wonder if he just what, didn't come up with new material. Well, he, he or... thought he needed that ritual that I to, say. to complete his sham. Now, of course, Islam is the only religion that promises virgins after death. Oh, oh, oh let me take this one. Oh, go. Let's put this in perspective. Mohammed is supposed to be the great prophet of the one true God called Allah, apparently. If you do the ultimate sacrifice for the religion, for a Christian, the ultimate sacrifice might be something that means risking your life to save another or something like that. But not in, not in the Muslim world. No, in the Muslim world, the ultimate sacrifice is losing your life, killing other people. Like your suicide bombers. Yes. That is the ultimate submission to Allah, supposedly. And because of that, you get the greatest reward in heaven. Because you've done the ultimate deed, the ultimate great Muslim act. Now, if you've done that, what you get, and, and this, no other religion promises this, is you get like 70-something teenage virgin girls to have your orgy with. Yeah. Okay, this is coming from the holy man. He's like, you can have your teenage orgy. Uh, it sounds like you're making a joke. It, it, it's incredible. They, they call this a holy man. It sounds like something that some college guy would come up with whilst he's drunk with his friends. Who's seriously perverted and right. twisted. Uh -huh. I mean, you know, you. Oh my gosh, I mean, I mean, like, oh my gosh, you know. Right, it really does. You could definitely say Islam is unique in that way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like I'm about to do this holy act. You know, their definition of holy is a little different. You know, murdering mass murder, mass murdering people, isn't considered holy by other so-called religions mm -hmm. or legitimate religions, for that matter. But your reward for that, the greatest of holy acts, is you get laid. Lots. Who says that? Who says that as a religious moral ideal? I mean, it... It's an abomination. Just, just the very... Can you call it a principle? You can't call that a principle. No, can you can't. You? The idea of it. No. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And, you know, in these countries where, you know, everyone's living under Sharia law and so forth, 
you can't even take in a Bible a lot of times. You certainly can't take in several Bibles. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I was trying to figure out what these countries were, and I, I found a list from the Gideons where they said they couldn't operate, they couldn't bring in Bibles. Mm-hmm. You know, it's pretty famous for distributing free Bibles. They said they can't operate in the following countries. Afghanistan, Algeria, China, Iran, Iraq, Libya, the Maldives, Morocco, Saudi Arabia, Somalia, Tunisia, Turkmenistan, Uzbekistan, and Yemen. Aside from China, which is, you know, communistic, they all share one thing in common. Islam. Sharia law. Sharia law. That is like the who's who list of Sharia law. And that's another part of their religion that Sharia law isn't optional. You're supposed to have it. Yeah. That is the ultimate goal. Yeah, it, it is what you're that's, supposed to That's enforce. bringing God's kingdom to earth. Living like that is supposedly God's kingdom on earth. It's horrific. Most Christians, I don't think, could imagine saying to somebody, no, you can't bring your religious book with you when you travel. Regardless of what religious book it is, it, it doesn't matter if, if it's the Scientologist book or, or some Dahamapadra. Or the Dahamapadra from Buddhism. Exactly. It just doesn't matter. Frankly, I don't care if you ha- hand out these little Bibles. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't bother me. Mm-hmm. Uh, punishing those people by death, because that's what we're talking about. They're mm-hmm. not just saying, no, you can't bring that here. They're saying, if you try and bring that here, we'll kill you. Yeah. I think China doesn't actually kill you, but the rest of them do. Mm-hmm. China puts you in a work camp, which, you know. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've, we've talked about China before, too. It's a special country, isn't it? It is. I was reading that in Germany, it's been recently revealed that Muslim translators are mistranslating Christian refugees so that they get deported back to places like Iran and killed. And this kind of goes back in with the whole lying thing. Where mm-hmm. Lying is okay if... As long as it promotes Islam in some way. Yes, even if that just means in- killing a Christian. Or hurting the non-Muslims in some way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're intentionally yeah. getting yeah, people killed. People are going to have such a hard time getting their heads around this, that lying and deception are actually part of their religion. Right. You think about that only in, in something like Satanism, you know, where the, everything is backwards, like thou shalt kill, thou shalt commit adultery, thou shalt steal. Backwards. The Muslims are like that. It is okay to lie. Even non-Christians, even you know, people who are atheists, there's just something that even they can see inherently that lying is wrong. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's just, it's just, it's built in. Okay? Yeah. It really is. And yes, Christianity has helped to push that, that it's a sin. But it's inherent to our culture to see that that's wrong, and yet it's something that's codified as a moral. Well, it's part of our culture because of our Judeo-Christian heritage, Sarah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's why we are moral, and they aren't. Mm-hmm. Of course, in countries like Iran, persecution of Christians is extremely common. Yeah, we've seen it ourselves. I'm not going to mention any names here. Mm-hmm. But there's a girl, a lady, who's called us from time to time for health advice and issue. You know, wanted our advice, what to do about this or that or the other thing. And I think over the years, we've been very helpful to her. She started preaching to us about Islam. We did not react well to that. We let her know we were not going to tolerate or condone that, that we weren't going to listen to it, and if she wanted to be our friend, she was going to knock it off, because we weren't even going to pretend 
like it was a decent, valid religion that we could ever want a part of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we helped her with her health, but we draw the line at being preached to yeah. her about... And we told her that if she wanted to continue getting our help, she better drop it. Mm-hmm. Well, she did drop it, and we continued talking. And then one day, she, you know, she mentioned how she really, really appreciated what we'd done for her. And she was going to send us some lemons. We were like, great. Get a big box of organic lemons. We'll put them to use because we like the lemons. We, we put them in our tea and fish. and Lemonade. We suck on them sometimes like candy. We love lemons. And we were like, that is awesome. They never arrived. And you know what? We didn't expect them to, really. We knew. We knew they never arrived because she was married to a Muslim man. And that Muslim man would not her, allow her to send anything free to Christians. We just knew. Yes. It's pretty sad that we did know. Yeah. I kind of was like, yeah, that's a great idea. But then a couple of hours after that, we were like, you know, we're never going to get those. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> we're never going to see them. Part of the reason why this particular lady had so many problems was because she went to these backwards, God-forsaken countries to visit. Yeah, she, was, she actually had conditions that she were... She brought back these strange diseases with her. Mm-hmm. And, of course, there's no telling what her husband let her eat, because, you know, it's his decision. What she eats and pretty much every facet of her life, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, it... it's, Islam is the sociopathic dream, isn't it? Oh, yeah. It is. It truly is, especially if you're male. Yes. I remember a while back I had a, a friend who had liberal leanings, especially when it came to the topic of Islam. And no matter what I said, he didn't believe me when I said that persecution of Christians happens now. Not a thousand years ago or several years ago. During the Crusades ago, or whenever. But right now. Mm-hmm. No matter what I said, it simply wasn't true. And it'll always continue. Mm-hmm. It will always continue. Mm-hmm. That it's, it's not, people think it's a cultural thing or a national thing. And therefore, you bring them here, let them live in our more civilized society, and you've got a tame Muslim. A nice, friendly, tame Muslim who can cooperate and live with other people. Problem is, that argument is made from a broken foundation because it's not their national heritage. It's not their culture. It's their religion that they cannot deviate from. Yep. There's no taming them. There's no civilizing them. They may seem tame and civilized because they're lying. Mm-hmm. Now, a UN human rights report states, quote, the government of Iran continues to engage in systemic, ongoing, and egregious violations of religious freedom, including prolonged detention, torture, and executions based primarily or entirely upon the religion of the accused, unquote. Now, the important thing there is it started with the government of Iran. Yeah, it wasn't just fringe groups. No, this isn't individual people. This isn't mobs. This is the government. Yeah. Sharia law. Exactly. And that's what people struggle to wrap their head around, that the actual government itself, which is also the church, mm. you know. If people take nothing else away from this show, the one thing that they need to take away, or the couple of things they need to take away, is that the ultimate goal of Islam is Sharia law. And then they need to understand what the implications of that are. Yes. It's not one bad Muslim doing this thing. or It's not one so-called, quote, radical, unquote, Muslim doing another thing. No, it's when the entire power structure, corporations, government, everything public, the church too, they're all working together. Yeah. 
to destroy your individuality, your creativity, to make it so that you can't think for yourself, live the way you want to, worship God in the way you choose to. Speak freely. Speak freely. There, there is no freedom of speech. No. There are lots of cases in places like Iran and Saudi Arabia yeah. of people trying to speak out on the internet. We take for granted that we can post a, a video of talking into a camera and not worry. One of the things the liberals and apologetic Muslims like to throw out is the Crusades. How that's evidence that the Christians were aggressive, warlike people and did bad things and killed people. It makes the Christians just as bad or worse. Usually the implication is much worse. It was like the peaceful, the peaceful Muslims were being attacked by crusaders. And it's just so not true. As you were saying earlier, Sarah, mm-hmm. the crusades were defensive, not offensive. And when they did go into offensive mode, it was to drive people out, to drive the Muslims out of lands that they had conquered, that didn't belong to them. Like, for instance, Jerusalem. It's just common sense. Jerusalem does not belong to the Muslims. The Crusades only took place after the Christian church at the time determined that doing so would meet the concepts of just war. Which they don't have any concept of. No. No, They don't have any concept at all. The just war doctrine gives certain conditions for the legitimate exercise of force, all of which must be met before... It's like a righteous kill. Self-defense. Uh-huh. I actually have those with me. I've got... What society generally accepts as a just war? This is what the church at the time considered to be the necessities of just war. Okay, and I've looked at the list. It does seem reasonable. Mm -hmm. Number one, the damage inflicted by the aggressor on the nation or community of nations must be lasting, grave, and certain. Two, all other means of putting an end to it must have been shown to be impractical or ineffective. Three, there must be serious prospects of success. And four, the use of arms must not produce evils or disorders graver than the evil to be eliminated. The power of modern means of destruction weighs very heavily in evaluating this condition. Sounds reasonable. Now, actions which are forbidden and which constitute morally unlawful orders... Unjust which, war, in other words. Uh, these are even in, in this uh, this just war, you cannot do the following. Uh-huh. Attacks against and mistreatment of non-combatants, wounded soldiers, and prisoners... Genocide, whether of a people, nation, or ethnic minorities. Indiscriminate destruction of whole cities or vast areas with their inhabitants. And that exclusionary list, the the unjust war principles, it's like the Muslims embraced all of those. That's exactly what they did. (laughs) I mean, you're looking at it, uh, I'm looking at it and thinking, well, that's literally what they did. That's Mohammed, right there. It's almost like the playbook. Yeah, it's like, that's Mohammed there. (laughs) Yeah. This is an audio medium. Okay, so, you know, we're limited to what we can do. But just take for a moment, let's just imagine, what if the Crusades hadn't happened? Or what if the Crusades had been lost? And the Muslim forces had pushed forward throughout all of Europe and then eventually into the New World. Yeah. Where would we be now? I've got two audio clips I'm going to play. One is, this is the typical sound of an American city in the morning. Most of you will recognize these sounds, especially Americans. After that, I'm going to play another clip, what we would sound like. And I'm not going to call those American sounds, because if they had overrun us, if the Crusades hadn't happened or had been lost, this would not be America. This would be named something like Godforsakistan, 
and what we would hear in the morning would be completely different. So I'm going to cue in the first clip of a normal American city. if we had lost the Crusades or if the Crusades had never happened, what life would sound like every morning here in Godforsakistan. Now that we're done with that, those clips, I'm tempted to do the obligatory, any questions? It's like, if you can spend some time in the news and look at a country like Iran or Saudi Arabia, and just look at those headlines, imagine the worst Islamic country that there is, and think of the entire world like that. It would fuel itself, it would snowball. Exactly. As they would get bolder as they covered more ground. Each country would be essentially be competing to see who's the most Islamic. Which is like uh, the most vicious, frankly. On a larger scale. and Yeah, it would be. Who can be the most vicious? Especially against competing groups. It would be constant war between the Christians and the Muslims. Mm -hmm. I just scrolled over some headlines recently in preparation for this show, and it's shocking the sort of crimes that you see against Christians. On January 15th this year in Uganda, a group of Muslims attacked a Christian church. They, they raped five women, they beat the man, and they kidnapped the pastor. The crime? was converting Muslims to Christianity. Muslims actually came into the church and were converted. So the rape was part of their holy work? Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. Yes, the, the five women who were raped, that was a holy act. No. Then Doing in, it for Muhammad. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. In Pakistan, over 100 people were involved in burning two Christians in a kiln for alleged blasphemy. It was thought that they had burnt a Koran. They hadn't, it turned out later, but besides the fact, a hundred people gathered to to burn them to death. Mm -hmm. Like, that's illegitimate. Yeah, it was probably a mob event, and they went unabated because, well, law enforcement people probably said, well, that's in line with Sharia law. Yeah. So that's the type of society that the people of the Crusades were trying to save us from, and thankfully they did. They did. God bless those guys. I'm sure they have been blessed. Yes. They were true heroes. In the truest sense, they were heroes. Yes. They went out, they risked their lives, not just for small and transient reasons, but to save civilization itself, and they did. We owe them everything. We owe them everything. We know some people are going to hate us for this show, and we know they're going to call us all kinds of names. It reminds me of something uh, I saw one guy say, or I heard one guy say, do you know what the new modern definition of a racist is, Sarah? What's that? A modern-day racist is someone who's winning an argument with a liberal. <laughs> That's what a racist is. Yeah. I'm sure we'll get some flack, but we're, it's okay. We're used to it.
Oh, yeah. But this needed to be said because it's not being said. Nobody wants to take the time to read through this material, and those who do are afraid to come forward about it. When you've got ministers and churches across the nation unilaterally afraid, you're in a bad place. Somebody has to do this. It's gotten so bad that my teenage son approached us and said, Daddy, you better be careful on this one. They'll come after us. This is my teenage son. He's afraid we'll anger the Muslims and they'll come after us. Well, this is in the U.S. This is in America. I mean, my gosh. People are this afraid in the United States? Violence aside, and we have come to expect that, especially with the Muslims, frankly. If you find yourself arguing or trying to tell somebody about Islam and you find yourself being called a racist, one thing to keep in mind is Islam is not a race. It's an ideology. Mm-hmm. One that presses women, is murderous and pedophilic, and wants to throw gay people off of buildings. Mm-hmm. Okay, This is not something that you're born into. It's not, it is something that you can choose. It is, it's not a color of your skin that's just inherent. Mm-hmm. It's simply a, a belief system that you embrace by choice. Yes. Although, to be fair, for a lot of unfortunate people who have been raised in the Muslim countries, it's not a choice. They were raised that way. And getting out is a death sentence. But this is something... It's, it's definitely not a race. It is an ideology that we should be attacking. We should be. And frankly, people on the other side of the world can't speak for themselves. Let's just say there's a woman over there in Saudi Arabia who doesn't like the way she's being treated, doesn't think it's right, doesn't like Islam. She can't speak out about any of that. No. She has no voice. Mm-hmm. If they did have a voice... Can you imagine how things would be changing? The turmoil? If people could speak out about, I've been wronged in this way or that way? Right. That's what they're afraid of. That's why you don't have any rights. The Uh, system is self-perpetuating. It's like communism in that regard. I I thought the same parallel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, But my my point is that that really, if if we are too afraid to speak out for these people, then they don't really have a voice at all. It's it's like yeah. we're the only people in a position to be able to. And even that's being eroded because no one's willing to. And it's getting worse, cause, well, in part because people are so unwilling to speak out against these atrocities and the religion yeah. itself. Yeah. If we were wrong, and you pass this along to your friends with it being wrong, that wouldn't be such a big deal. They could evaluate what we're saying for themselves. And they'd either accept it or they wouldn't. And if we're wrong, for the most part, most of them wouldn't accept it. They'd know. The problem comes when we're afraid to say it. There's a real problem there. When we're afraid to even talk about it. Yeah. And if the preachers out there won't, then we're going to. I'm hoping this show will wake people up to what we're facing. Because they spread across Europe at such a level that I don't know how Europe is going to recover at this point. When you look at what's going on in Germany and England, oh, it's terrible. And it's coming here. The cases back when when I was in England where large groups of Muslims were, it was called grooming, which means uh, acclimating young girls to the idea of, quote, dating, unquote these much older men, and then they would gang-rape them. And that was happening in these cities, and the police were ignoring it. So if the, if the grooming wasn't enough, they'd go ahead and get physical too. Right. The police were afraid to act, unwilling to act, 
because... They'd be they, racist. Yes. They were oh. afraid that it would, quote, upset public relations. Public relations. In part because they don't want to be called racist, but also, most disturbingly, because they were afraid of what the Muslim community would do if they were to speak or to start Especially doing arrests. Especially afraid. To because police. Th- there were so many of these Muslims, the police were afraid to police. The rape thing, you've heard this from various groups. You hear it a lot with racist groups, you know, like, they're after our women, want to rape our women. We've heard that junk, and, and sometimes it's true, sometimes it's not, but when we talk about this, just matter-of-factly, it's because they do it matter-of-factly. That, as non-Muslim women, they're fair game. And I mean that literally. They are fair game. Yeah. So it's common. If any of you out there were thinking that Islam is this fine religion of peace that's got a code of honor and ethics on par with the Judeo-Christian code, I sure hope this woke you up. If not, go read about it yourself. Yeah. You can start with the Islamic scriptures if you like. It's very harsh reading, horrible reading. (laughs) I don't think it translates to English well. I guess we've got some credits to give, Sarah. Now that we're at the end of our show, I'd like to thank two websites for their sound effect contributions. They are freesfx.co.uk and freesound.org. All right, Sarah, I guess we're about to go. This is Thomas signing off. And this is Sarah. Thanks for listening. Yeah. And for anyone who doesn't know, we're Healthwise Media. We can be found at healthwise.org. And remember that WISE is spelled W-Y-Z-E. That's right, W-Y-Z-E, healthwise.org. And until next time, Durka Durka Mohammed Jihad. Bye-bye. Some people will get it, right? Mm-hmm.